Open your Bibles with me to Colossians chapter 2. I'm going to read to you a couple of scriptures out of Hebrews. I'm going to talk to you this morning about partnering with God in the process of growth. As we look at the church and we look at believers and we think about where we started and where we're going in the process of becoming conformed to the image of the Son of God, which is pleasing to the Father. I want to encourage this morning, I want, to, I want, to, I want to, to inspire you this morning to this significant, awesome, supernatural journey that is really the most wonderful thing you're ever going to, to, to journey with God on. But at times, it becomes frustrating to us. It becomes, it becomes a, a source of hopelessness to us, I think, in the process of growing up, okay? And so, how many of you recognize that there is a difference between growing old and growing up? I've known a lot of people in the church these last 30 years. I've met a lot of them that uh, are old in their age and faith, but they are no more mature than the day of a newborn baby's first breath. That is not the will of God for us. And it is not accomplished through all the things that we try to do in church. All right, We have spent our life trying to disciple people how to put off the old and take on the new by the deeds of do this, don't do that. And I'm going to give you some examples. Uh, read your Bible for 30 minutes a day. Make sure you, you don't watch uh, TV on Sunday. Uh, make sure you're in church uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night. We don't do that anymore. Some of these things we've broken off of. All right, and that's what I believe you'll see. You're seeing a transition in the church where we're laying down some of the old traditions. But a challenge is, is not to pick up new ones. Because the old, a lot of times, just gets transformed with one more deed that seems spiritual that is not spiritual at all. Okay? And so in this process is we are laying off the old and taking up the new for the purpose of joining into the presence of God and into the glory of God and, and into the fullness of all that He has created for us. We have to be proactive and intellectual and emotional in the process. Okay? And we're going to talk about that in Colossians. But it's very important for me for, to, for, to lay the groundwork right now. Paul is clear that all of the acts of the Old Testament, all of the acts of worship in the Old Testament never gave the worshiper a clear conscience. It never made the worshiper accepted in God's sight to the point that they were, there was never a shame or guilt anymore in their life. Okay? How many of you in this room have felt guilt and shame since you've come to Christ? Nearly everybody. The question is why? Why do you feel guilty? Is, that, is it because we did wrong and so we therefore should feel guilty? Is it because you had a false expectation and that false expectation creates in you disappointment and that causes you to feel ashamed of yourself or ashamed of a deed? Can I tell you that guilt and shame are not God's way? Guilt and shame never produce righteousness, never produce holiness, 
never produce conforming to the image of the Son. They are the work of the enemy that holds you shackled to the old man, that prevents you from truly growing up into the image of the Son of God to where you can do this one thing. You can lift your hands and say, it's not my will, Father, that your will be done. Whatever that is, whatever the will of God is, and and the problem with it is a lot of us never grow up in believing that we can understand and know the will of God. The will of God has become this big mysterious thing out there that people kind of bounce around in in ideologies trying to figure out. I'm going to tell you real quick, what is the will of God for your life? How many of you would like that? None of you? Okay, well, I'm going to shut my Bible and go home. How many of you want to know what the will of God is? How many of you think you know what the will of God is? The will of God is found in Romans 8, 29. Those he foreknew, he predestined to become conformed to the image of the Son. Those he predestined, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorifies. Romans 8 and 29. He has predestined you to be conformed. He has justified you and he is glorifying you and glorifying himself in you. He's moving you from glory to glory. He's perfecting you is what I'm saying. But it's not through the religious traditions that we have many times taken up what songs we sing, how much tithe we give, how many people we witness to, how many services we attend, how many Bible studies we we attend, you know, all the religious books that we read, all the things that we do, if they're not done in the right motive, they don't become an assistance in growing us up. They become a substitution for growing us up. And when you substitute anything other than the amazing work of God in transforming you, it leaves you where Romans 7 and 8 is. Condemned. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in who? Christ. Why? Go back to Romans 7. He says, why is this condemnation? What is all this stuff going on? And if you go back to Romans 5, 6, 7, 8, it's because every one of those passages deals with a different type of substitution for the grace and the work of God. Paul's saying in Romans 8, I'm st- Romans 7, I'm struggling. I'm struggling with the things I know to do and the things I know not to do. I don't do the things I should do. I, don't do, I, I do the things I shouldn't do. And he's, go, he's, he's, he's telling you, I'm just like you. We're all in this ship together. We're all doing this together. And the recognition is that there is, in that deed of trying to accomplish your growing up or sanctification or righteousness in any other way than believing God through Christ is going to do it, will leave you feeling condemned. You're going to put off expectations on yourself. You're going to fail. And then you're going to wrestle with guilt. And you're going to wrestle with shame. And you never get anywhere. And eventually people throw their hands up and say, I'm done. I can't do this. Ever met anybody like that? They just want to quit because they can't seem to get it right. So as you're there in Colossians, I'm going to read a couple of passages to you here. 
in Hebrews to get us started. First of all, this work of Christ cleanses you from a guilty conscience. If you look in verse 9 of chapter 9, well, you don't, I'm going to read it to you. You can go back and read it later. Chapter 9, verse 9 of Hebrews, it says, This is an illustration for the present time, indicating that the gifts and sacrifices being offered were not able to clear the conscience of the worshipers. And then a little further down in verse 14, he says, How much more then will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal Spirit offered Himself unblemished to God, cleanse our conscience from acts that lead to death, so that we may serve the living God? He says in chapter 10, verse 2, Otherwise, would they not have stopped being offered and talking about the sacrifices? For the worshipers would have been cleansed once and for all and would no longer have felt guilt for their sins. And then a little further down in chapter 10, he says, verses 9 and following, he says, Jesus speaking, Then he said, Here I am. I have come to do your will. He set aside the first in order to the first covenant to establish the second. And by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once and for all. How many of you feel holy? Nobody? Maybe it's because you have a misunderstanding of what holiness is. You have a misunderstanding of what that means to be made holy. I'm going to ask you it this way. Is God a liar? He said you're holy. I didn't say that. He said it. So are you holy? In spite of all your weaknesses and brokennesses and failures, you are holy. He goes on to say in verse 14... For by one sacrifice He is made perfect forever those who are being made holy. In Colossians, if you go there, if you, if you got your hand there, it begins a process of telling the Colossi church how to lay off the old man and to put on the new man. And I want you to recognize that when we talk about holy, that word holiness means to be separate. To be separated. So when we talk about God has made you holy, He has separated you from the world over here and He's put you into the kingdom. He has translated you out of the world of darkness into the world of His Son, into the light of His Son. So instantly, in that process of salvation, you are holy. Right? And then there's this process of transformation that happens where he tells us in Romans 8, be not conformed, Romans 12, be not conformed to this world, to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, right? So there's this process of partnership that we get to be in with God. But it's the, it's the basis, the foundation of that partnership that gets skewed and causes most of us to live our lives dealing with guilt, dealing with shame, dealing with, with, a, with, a, with a misperception of how God sees us. And it leads us to a place that we never really grow up in the nature of the Son of God. 
So the first thing I want you to understand, the nature of the Son of God was this, to do the will of the Father. How many of you want to get to the place that you can do the will of the Father? Anyone in here right now that says, I don't want to do God's will. I don't believe there's any born-again Christian who would say that. There are moments that we're struggling with what we know is right and what we know is wrong. We're in this place of battle. But to, the, the heart's desire is we want to do God's will. So how does this journey begin in a way that glorifies God, frees me from a guilty conscience, sets me on the path to allow this growth process to happen? In Colossians chapter 2, Paul makes this, this statement. In verse 6, he says, So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live your lives in Him. How did we receive Jesus? How did we receive Jesus? By what? By faith, Right? If you read a little further in those passages in Hebrews I mentioned to you all ago, that's where that great verse is. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. And we've looked at that for so many times, the idea that, that, that if, if you have faith to move a mountain, you're going to please God. If you have faith to raise the dead, you're going to please God. If you have faith to, to heal the sick, you're going to please God. But the fact is, what he's saying, without faith, it's impossible to please Him because it's impossible to know His will. It's impossible to be conformed to the image of the Son. It's impossible to come to the place on your own that you say, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. The greatest act of faith you're ever going to demonstrate is to surrender your will to Him. He says, the same way you began the process, complete it. So I want you to understand right now, from this day forward, forever to come, you are holy there's no question about it. You are loved, you are adored, regardless of what you produce. And I know that is contrary to how you feel. I have taught my kids, do not trust your feelings. They will lie to you. When you feel unholy, when you feel guilty, when you feel ashamed, that's an attempt of the enemy to, to quantify your worth based upon what you produce, and that's got nothing to do with it. You are worth because God said you are worth, and He gave His Son for you. He has settled the debt forever. He has made the price. He has paid the price. He's already declared it. And that's where faith begins. I believe that I am worthy. I am believe that I am accepted. I believe that Jesus was more than enough to give me favor with God. Now I have the privilege of being changed. To be conformed in a way that gives you great hope, that leaves you with this place of recognizing that when you walk out of here today, you get the privilege of looking at everything in your life that you know is not according to God's will or God's Son and identifying it and saying, by faith, God, I believe you're going to change me. How many of you approach your salvation that way? 
How many of you approach? Let me ask you a question. We got anybody in here that's impatient? A few of you? How long have you been saved? Since you were nine. So why are you still impatient? If I was the enemy right now, I'd be telling you, well, your impatience makes you not qualified because God's patient. But see, I'm not the enemy. I'm a voice of hope crying out in the wilderness reminding you, one, that your patience or impatience doesn't qualify you with God. That seems like such a minor one. If I went into the deeper, darker sins that we call in the church, maybe abuse, drug abuse, alcoholism, adultery, fornication, those darker ones would maybe be a little more... (gasps) Can I tell you that God sees your impatience the same way He sees your adultery? There are people in this room that have committed adultery in their mind over and over and over again. It's not what you want to do, but it seems to be the pattern that you were grown up in and you wrestle with that. There are people in this room that commit murder in their mind all the time. There's hate, there's unforgiveness, there's bitterness. You know it's not God's will. In spite of all of that, He still loves you. And He still has hope for you. Matter of fact, He's not just hope. He doesn't even see all of your brokenness. Once you're in Christ, he says, I remember your sins no more. See, we we justify the small characteristics, though, of impatience, and we've kind of joked it off, but you know it's a big deal to God? Because by faith, you have the ability to be patient. It's not an acceptable characteristic to be impatient or to be unkind or to be ungentle to be harsh. If you go through these passages and you look at what Paul's saying, put off this and put on this. He's telling us that not just the big, deep, dark sins of life. He goes on to say, he says all such things as these, anger, rage, malice, slander, filthy language, and lying. That comes after the dark sins. He's saying all of it. Put it off. And you're saying, how? Because I'm wrestling and I can't seem to win. And he's coming back and saying, by the spirit that lives within you. There's no condemnation for those who walk according to the spirit. And that spirit is, Jesus is enough. I dwell in you. I will lead you into all truth. I'm conforming you. I'm transforming you. I'm renewing you. And your gift and your job is to believe it. To believe that it's possible. He says there, and then this is the process. Here's your part in the partnership with God. In chapter 3, it says, Since then you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated. At the right hand of God, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. So your partnership in this with God is to take your intellect and your affections, your heart and your mind, and set them on Christ. 
Set them on the finished work of Christ. Set them on the nature of Christ. What was Christ like? If you wonder at times, you know, what does it mean to become conformed to the image of the Son? Let's go look at the, at the, at the fruits of the Spirit. Let's look at the, the various uh, different descriptions that God has of Himself throughout the, the, the Scriptures. Goodness and kindness and gentleness, self-control, meekness, love, right? Power, strength, humble, yielded. All of these characteristics, I get to look at the Son of God and say, with my mind, I agree. And with my heart, I desire. And by faith, I believe it's your will. And you began the good work in me. And I believe that you are faithful to complete it. And then I turn over here to these other things when they come up. And I look at the things I know are not God's will or not pleasing to God. And I say, Lord, I see those. I know that's not your will. I know that's the old man and he's a dead man. And I trust you, God. I believe you. You've promised me that you're going to deliver me from impatience. And so, Father, I thank you right now. And I praise you that there's no guilt or shame that that old man still rears up his head. Lord, I just by faith believe you are transforming me into the image of the Son. Do you think that that would make a difference in your walk? To engage your heart and your mind in the journey of being transformed into the image of God? Instead of just working off of your feelings, working off of the the emotions of, of religious moments, but literally engaging in this partnership with God by the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead that dwells in me, Do you recognize that? There's no power greater than the power that dwells in you. That whatever you see in yourself, that there's a journey that God's bringing you to. He's either bringing you more into these certain characteristics of God or He's taking you more out of the old characteristics of this world. And that's our only job is to partner with Him. To come to the place that we recognize Jesus is the only answer. That's what Paul was saying to you in Romans chapter 8. If you try to substitute your own actions and disciplines and and, and abilities for this process, you're going to live a life of hopelessness or worse, judgmentalism. You're going to achieve a few outward changes And you're going to hold everyone else accountable to your standard of those outward righteous behaviors. But in your heart, you're judging their value based upon nothing else except for what they've done, not who has done it for them. That judgmentalism is one of the most disgusting things there is to God. Go back and read it. You study the word for yourself. That haughty spirit, that judgmental spirit, that spirit that's trying to measure everybody else by how good I am. That's the spirit Jesus rebuked over and over and over and over again throughout the New Testament to the Pharisees. He said, you're a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. How many of you experienced judgmentalism in the church? 
If you read on in Colossians chapter two, it tells you don't let anybody hold you or, or disqualify you. Don't let anybody imprison you. Don't let anybody make you feel unworthy. Right? And if you've ever made someone feel that way, your response right now is, Lord, I see that is not who your son is. He says I'm worthy. He's already made the, the determination on my worth. He's already said I am holy. But Lord, I agree with you that you say you are making me holy too. And that process of setting me aside, I look at it like when you come into the church, you're wearing a certain set of garments internally. Characteristics of the world, anger, rage, malice, envy, strife, jealousy, lust, greed, all the characteristics of the world, right? Selfishness, self-centeredness. You've already been set aside. You've been made holy. But now, by faith, He's going to undress all of those characteristics. And He's going to redress you in the characteristics of the kingdom, which is love, joy, peace, gentleness, Goodness, kindness, meekness, self-control. How many of you feel like you have no self-control? Right? He can dress you up in self-control. He can give you all of these characteristics because these are the characteristics of our king. The king has a kingdom and the kingdom reflects the nature of the king. When we get there, we're going to be just like him. In this life, we have the process of being made to be like Him. And in that process, there is no guilt, there's no shame, there's no fear, there's no rejection. And I believe that this is one of the reasons most of the church struggles with ever truly feeling accepted by God. As a matter of fact, if you go back and you study there in uh, the book of Hebrews, he talks about relaying the foundations of grace. You hear it right now. There's, there's all throughout the church, there's either too much grace or not enough grace. They're either saved or they're not saved. You know, I mean, just back and forth. Argue, argue, argue. That's such an elementary thing. It's the rudiments of our faith, friend. If you understand grace, you understand the work that Jesus did. Read it in Hebrews chapter 9. Everything that was being done in the old temple was for the purpose of showing us that we were sinners. Everything that Jesus did was for the purpose of cleansing us from being a sinner. Cleansing us from the guilt and the shame. How many of you want that? How many of you want to be free from guilt and shame and condemnation and rejection? Measuring your worth based upon what spiritual maturity you've demonstrated this week and you want to just rise up and say enough is enough i i am i am going to live by faith i'm going to please god i'm going to believe that he that began the work in me will see it to completion right do you understand that you can't make this thing happen on your own and when we in the church start trying to, we get defeated. And the enemy comes raging in like a lion, accusing. 
devaluing, spewing out his, his, his putridness on us. God wants you to live a victorious life. And it is a life that is moving, like Barry said, from glory to glory. Being changed more and more, being transformed. It's a life full of hope. And here's the deal. The Bible, if you read there in Colossians, he's saying that I'm, I'm telling you these things so that you can be encouraged, so that you can be strengthened, so that you can come into the fullness of all the knowledge and wisdom there is in Christ Jesus. Do you want wisdom and knowledge? Do you want to know what the will of God is? We already established it. Not anybody in here really goes, I don't want to do the will of God. If you're born again, you want to do the will of God. The problem is most of us don't know the will of God. And we don't know the will of God because we're still wrestling with this whole thing of being justified. We haven't moved on and grown up. And it's time. It's time to grow up, not grow old. To take on the nature of our Savior and our King. To by faith be transformed by the renewing of our mind. See, the Bible says that when we train up a child when they're old, they won't depart from it, right? Well, do you know that's just as true towards the negative as it is the positive? And most of you in this room are trained up in the ways of the world and it's hard to get them off of you. You have to be transformed by the renewing of your mind, which is the act of repentance. Friends, there's a lot of statements. I don't, I don't know if you've heard this, but there are people out there teaching about, oh, we don't have to repent anymore. Listen to me. Do you know what repentance means? Change your mind. Literally in the Greek, that's what repentance means. Change your mind. When Jesus told them, repent for the kingdom of God is at hand, he's saying, change your mind. You thought this way about the kingdom Repent, change your mind, for the kingdom is already here. Repentance is our best friend because it is simply the act of saying, through your wisdom, Lord, I see. And I agree. I believe. Thank you for that. Repentance is not flailing yourself. Repentance isn't laying on the ground, weeping for hours, trying to make yourself worthy, it leaves you in condemnation. Repentance is agreeing with God. And so I have the privilege through the Spirit in me to know what is the will of God and to repent from that which is not and agree with that which is. Not feel guilty when I wrestle because I know it's God's work, but by faith and by hope, move forward and grow up. Amen? Let's stand to our feet. Last time I was with you, I spoke on this subject. Tell your story. Anybody remember that? Not a person. I'll throw that sermon away. Tell your story out of Psalms 107. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. Let the redeemed of the Lord tell their story. It's one more opportunity for you to tell of the goodness of God when people see in you the change. For those of you that are impatient and everyone around you knows you're impatient, how much opportunity 
will there be to tell your story when by faith you receive patience and you become patient? And the world stands and goes, who, who is that? Never seen that characteristic before. Maybe you're quick to be angry and that changes. Whatever it is, this is a great opportunity, a great journey to move forward with God and be able to impact the world through our testimony of God doing a work we could not do ourselves. Are you knocking, Lord? Behold, I stand at the door. I still have 53 seconds. Let's pray. Father, I love you. And in this room today, there are people that have been shackled down with fear and shame and guilt and hopelessness. They've believed the lie of the enemy because they have been taught the wrong way to grow up in Christ. And it led them to defeat. And today, Lord, I pray that your spirit would speak to them. Supernaturally, the words and the things that you've demonstrated here of a new way of growing up in the sun. A way that leads them to freedom and hope and joy and peace. Life, Lord. Life, abundant life. God, help us to live the abundant life that you have designed for us. We love you, Jesus. You are enough, Lord. You are more than enough. There is nothing else besides you. You're worthy. Help us to see it, God. Not just say it with our lips, but to see you. To see what you did for us. I praise you for your kindness. I ask you to bless this congregation. In Jesus' name, amen.